Welcome to River People, a podcast about interesting people in Southern Oregon. This is our inaugural interview, so I'd like to give a special thanks to our guest for being in the spotlight for our first episode. Spencer Reynolds, a fine artist of oil painting and ink line drawings living in the coastal town of Brookings, Oregon. Spencer is best known for his captivating landscapes, which he interprets with a surreal and impressionist technique, combining vivid colors and a surf aesthetic that capture the water and landscape of his environment. Artandsurf.com is his website and online store. He also owns his own gallery, the Semi-Aquatic Gallery, located at 654 Chetco Avenue, Highway 101 northbound in Brookings. He's open Monday and Tuesday from 11 to 5.30 and Thursday through Saturday from 11 to 5.30. Also, he has expanded hours in the summer to include seven days a week. You can follow him at his Facebook handle, Semi-Aquatic Gallery, or on Instagram at semi underscore aquatic. Our conversation began with Spencer discussing his relationship with Southern Oregon and meandered around many topics. If a person or product mentioned sparked your interest, look in the description for a link. I found our time together extremely interesting as we delved into the artist's life, art, hobbies, and philosophies. I hope you enjoy. My family moved here in like 74. So I did all my schooling here and then I left after high school and was gone for like 17 years and then been back like 15 or 16. What brought you to that? I love the place. It's, it's just, I wanted to be, I was before this, I was in Portland and I wanted to be back on the coast. I was married at the time and we were looking at Lincoln city, but my my mom lives here and she found a place that she thought we could afford. And it was, I think it was like 2009. So, was, you know, it was just 2008 or 2009. It was just when everything was like crashing and Portland's housing market was still strong. So I sold my house up there. We bought a fixer upper down here that, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool house. That's great. I mean, like looking around, like you're, your shop. I can't imagine you not living near the ocean. Was that? Yeah. Was that part of it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I miss the ocean a lot. I just, I grew up surfing. So yeah, I'd spent so much of my time in the water growing up. And so, yeah, I was, I was definitely a fish out of water in Portland. I, it wasn't, wasn't really like a city that I, I had a good time there, but it wasn't really, I, I, I didn't see it as a place I was going to stay long time. Was it very different from Southern Oregon to be kind of in that Metro Oregon area? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a different world up there than it is here. I, I, there's things I like about here. There's things I like about there. I don't like everything here. I don't like everything there. Understood. When did you start doing art profession? Was it important? No, I, I lived in, after high school, I did community college in Eugene. Then I went to... Seattle and I went to the Art Institute and went there for a couple of years. Got just got an associate's degree and I started I started working for video game companies, just just like children's educational video games. Everything was pretty um not you know, the technology wasn't amazing at the time. So I just kind of like push pixels to form characters and things like that. It, it it's way better now than it was then. How, how did you go from doing that to, how, how would you describe your art? I don't know. I've had different descriptions for it over the years. Um, at one point I called it pinstripe impressionism. Um, I don't know that that quite fits it anymore. It's, I'd say it's surrealist. It, it, it feels like maybe like some sort of impressionistic surrealist mm-hmm. style now with maybe a little mysticism in there or something like that too. I, I think that's, I mean, obviously it's your art. So you, your description of it is going to be <laughs> canon, but how did you go from video game 
to that? What was that journey like? Uh, my dad was a painter and I, I, I started painting when I was 19 and I never really stopped. I just was, I, I was always interested in being a better painter and in art school, there was a teacher named Henry Stenson and he was, he was like the figure drawing teacher. I, I don't remember if I had one of his classes. I think I may have, I don't know if I had one of his classes in school, but when I, when I graduated a friend, I, I expressed an interest in wanting to be a better painter and better figure drawing. And, and a friend of mine had modeled for him. And so I started going to his uh, figure drawing classes and painting classes. And he specifically taught Russian impressions. And so I just, I think I just really fell in love with painting uh, at that, like deeply fell in love with it. I, and it's sort of, it's, it's just been a passion ever since. You paint in oils, correct? Yeah. Do you have a specific kind of oil that you like to use or brand or where, where do you find your palette? I mean, if, if I can, I mostly get Gamblin. They're a Portland oil paint company. And they're, I just, I, I really, I like that they're an Oregon based company. And, you know, I, when I was in Portland, I worked for an art, at an art store and, you know, I forget his first name, but the guy that formed the company, he would come by and do demos for us, just for us, you know, like he, he would just, he, it just seemed like a really grassroots company and they make really quality product. I, I'm not super picky though. You know, I, I'll take Gamlin or Windsor and Newton or, I mean, sometimes I find paints at um, yard sales and things. I'll take those too. I'll just take whatever, whatever I can get as far as the oil paints go. Cause um, sometimes you find a really, an, uh, uh, tube of old paint from a yard sale or something and it's great it's great so that's cool yeah i know i know you have line drawings as well mm -hmm. do your paintings usually start as line drawings or is there a correlation between the two or is it just two different mediums two different mediums uh i my paintings start with just rough shapes and you start with the big, I start with the big basics trying to get, it's almost, it's almost like you're, it's almost like you're walking through the fog. As you're walking, you see shapes. And so that's, that's like the, to me, that's what I initially try to create is like the, the big, big broad shapes. As you get closer, you see more color and detail. And then when you get right up on it, you know exactly what it is. So that's, that's kind of what I do with the painting. The pen and ink is a different process. Painting, you can totally, if you screw something up, you can totally just paint over it and, and, um, and figure it out. Um, so there's a lot more room for error. Mm -hmm. Um, pen and ink is, uh, hard because you, what I, you're, you're base, what you're, you, I try not to change anything. Like I, I want it to be almost like a pure pen and ink. And I, I haven't been able to pull that off all the time, but I just, you know, like it starts with just the outlines and then I'll, I'll do the first initial line work. And then I just start to build darker values on that. And you have to sort of build up your darks slowly because if you, your eye re, your eye goes through the um, composition and if there's something that's too dark and your eye catches it it can sort of like sort of screw up the flow of the of the visual flow um, so you have to like build up your values slowly to make sure that everything is your intentions are being met that's super interesting yeah yeah it, it, it sounds like you'd almost have to be in two totally different states of mind. Totally different states of mind. Yeah. What do you, what state of mind makes you want to pick up the pen some days? It's, I, I'm just immensely curious about processes of creativity. I, you know, I think if I, if I could just be an artist without having to make a living at it, like if I, 
I, I would be a very good retired person because I, if I didn't need money, I would just be, I would be printmaking, I would be oil painting, I would be, maybe I'd even be sculpting, I would just be doing everything that I would love to do. I do also like the parameters of needing to survive and needing to make money off it. What that does for me is there's, it's, there's like a dialogue between the audience and myself and I need to walk a line of making things that the public wants to see that I understand that they will maybe buy out of this location to keep me paying my bills. But I also make, I've also, I also feel like in a sense, I'm training my audience to be into something that maybe challenges their, um, their idea of art. So that's where the surreal part gets incorporated is I, you know, you could look at it as a land, as a landscape, but sometimes it's just, it's just uh, the paintings are made up of parts of abstractions. And in those abstractions, sometimes I, I'll spend a lot of time on little surrealistic elements that make your people see things in my paintings. Sometimes that I intend, sometimes they just see um, that I didn't intend. And I just, I find that really interesting that that even if I'm painting what is just that just looks like a landscape, it can be, it can be read as something else or objects seen in it. It's, it's interesting. It just, it's very fascinating to me how people will read into your art, even if you're not intending anything with what you're doing, they, they still do. I used to fight that as a younger artist, but now I just, I really embrace it and so yeah, there's like this dialogue back and forth where I feel like I'm I'm pushing people, I hope I'm pushing people to be more into art and maybe expand beyond just landscapes and stuff. But then there's also what I feel like I hear from them that I try to utilize. So yeah, it's I love that. I love that concept as art as a conversation with your audience. Mm -hmm. But when I view your paintings it almost, sometimes I see the story of a hike I took and there'll be a, a symbolic or a or artistic gesture that reminds me of that thing mm -hmm. that I experienced on that walk. Or yeah. sometimes it's a wave and the wave is a little more surreal than another wave. And it reminds me of that wave and that moment. And it kind of brings me back to that. But you're taking, you, but, but it's an expression of, of you yeah. So that, that intersection between the way the audience receives it and the way you present it. And I like that idea that while you're not controlling it, you're kind of training the audience to say, Hey, look at this. And, yeah. And I think that's really neat. Do you like the process or having the finished work with all of what you just said? It sounds like you're a very process oriented person. Yes. Very, very. Yeah. I, uh, the finished work, once a painting's done or a picture's done, I'm quickly on to the next. Uh, I, I, I like to look at, I like to look at my art, but I don't, it's, I wouldn't say it's dead to me after it's done, but the business model I have here is typically the original goes away pretty fast. Someone will buy it. And then what all I see is a reproduction of it, which the colors are never, quite the same. It's never, it's never as dynamic or as subtle as the colors. If anyone listening has never seen an actual oil painting, put this podcast down, go to your local gallery or museum and go look at an original. Yeah. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah. So I get so used to, I almost get, uh, you know, we, the way that the gallery works is I, the main thing I sell is paper prints and canvas prints. So I get so used to seeing the images as a print and I see them over and over and over and over. So I get, let's say I get, I don't get sick of my art, but I definitely, I'm happy to create something new. So just, it all just keeps the ball rolling. And that's, that's, 
if I can make a living at it and just, I'm not, not getting rich by, at it by any means, but if I can just keep the ball rolling, that's, that's what I really care to do. I, I've spoken to other artists and for them, some of them, art is almost a compulsion. They're, they're going to do art mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter. Nothing else really matters other than they, they just feel the need to do it. And others, it's almost like a struggle and a discipline to wake up every day mm -hmm. and do the art. Yeah. For you, which one of those sounds closer? Uh, I'm in the middle. It's a compulsion, but it's, I, I think the age I'm at, I'm more, I think I was tougher on myself when I was younger. And so sort of the pain of trying to be creative was a struggle because I wasn't quite making what I thought I should make or have or think that the objects I should paint should look a certain way. And I feel like when I just sort of accepted who I am and how it comes out is how it comes out, whether, you know, I think, I think not worrying about whether let's say I'm painting from a scene or something. If, if it doesn't come out the way the picture looked, but I still like what came out, then, then I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I think I, I think my ability's gotten better and I've, I've given myself a lot more grace. That's awesome. Do I think, think it's a double win. Was it sort of an imposter syndrome you were getting over where, I don't know. I still feel like I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I still feel like, uh, um, I still feel like at times I, I'm hacky and, and it's through the process of working through problems that I, I realize I've been on this path so many times with each piece that you see. And I will, I know that I know the path and I know that I can navigate it. And so I know that I can complete it. But each time you step up to the plate, you've got, you've got to have that internal dialogue again. Yeah. The, the voice of doubt isn't as strong as it used to be, but the voice of doubt is always still there. And I think one point I just committed to, when I was really feeling it a lot in my life, I just committed to, okay, I'm going to draw a certain amount every day or I'm going to paint a certain, I'm going to try to do this. Every, I'm going to do it every day, every day, every day. So regardless of whether that voice entered my head or not, I was going to do it anyways. And that's where the discipline comes on. Yeah. Yeah. Like you wanted to do it, you needed to do it, but you had to force yourself to do it. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Cause you're just like, it's, I don't know. It's easy to get distracted and do something, you know, like give yourself something else to do. So you don't feel like you, so that you can avoid the struggle of finding your way through a piece of art. I just, I just read a book. Um, I believe it's the war of art and they talk about resistance and, and how you have to overcome resistance in order to do your work. And that sounds very much like what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that you're better in the morning or in the evening? I, I, I don't, I don't feel too creative before noon. Um, but anytime afternoon, it could be from noon to midnight. Really? Um, yeah. Like, like it, it, any, any time in that I can paint in the morning. I just, I just always feel like there's too many you know, there's my coffee, there's my shit, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's breakfast. There's just yes. like, there's maybe exercise. There's, there's a lot of things that need to happen in the morning that I feel would chop up that desire to get right in it. And I love my coffee. So it's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get up and, and make, make my coffee. And gosh, coffee is so important. And I think it's a very Oregonian thing to be as into coffee as, as people are around here. Yeah. What are you drinking right now? I roast my own. So, um, so I'm, I, I think right now I've got a Kenyan bean that I'm 
drinking and it's it's good do you roast like a lighter roast or i like a lighter roast yeah yeah i i like uh the ethiopians tend towards or like the african beans tend they're i think i think they're a harder bean so they're better for the lighter roast i think you just complex flavors you order them from like sweet maria or yep exactly yep I've done this once before. Oh, nice. <laughs> I think I have some green beans sitting in my pantry. I need to roast up. How do you roast? Do you have a roaster or do you do on the stove? Or I, I started with a, uh, like it was almost like a glorified um, popcorn popper. Oh, okay. For coffee roasting. And now I have a, it looks like a toaster oven. It's called a Baymore. And it's, it's got a, it's got a um, drum in it that rotates. And, and so I, I'm still like, you know, I've been doing it probably like, I want to say I've been doing it six years, but I, I'm still very amateur. Um, I think people that take a lot of notes and have a more scientific <laughs> approach, uh, progress way faster than I do. I, 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 for most of the years up until this year, I just did it by eyesight and, and this year I'm actually starting to take notes and I'm, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to actually actually improve and and have like consistency you know if i find a bean i like i want to be able to figure out how to replicate the flavor that's that's awesome i know it's it's the same thing with so many things culinarily are like that you want to be kind of just on a wing and and let your imagination go and do it by eye Mm -hmm. but like you said the consistency is yeah so tough to nail if you do it that way Mm -hmm. but do you do you do a pour over or are you a French press guy? I do. A, well, I have. I'm mostly a pour over. I like a French press too. Um, I'm not a. I'm not a coffee snob in that you just you know. There's some that are just pour overs, and I like all the flavors. I actually even have a. Um, I have a cone that's basically it's a pour over cone. Mm-hmm. This is one of this is. I have a regular cone but then i have this four over cone that has a plunger at the bottom and so you can soak your grounds just like a french like just like a a, a french roast right french press french press Uh and then uh and then you can just after so many minutes it'll you put it on your mug and it'll drain right into your mug oh that's cool yeah i'm gonna have to check that so it's sort of like a hybrid (laughs) i don't know you know i think the one thing about me though is i don't really have the sophisticated palate to pull out all the different flavor notes. I don't, I still don't know how people identify everything that they identify when they're drinking coffee. I'm just like tangy on my tongue and you know, like, like there's flavors I can sort of pull out general flavors, but they get so particular about the flavors that, and I'm not, I don't really think I have that sensitive of a tongue, I guess. Not, not a coffee sommelier no, situation no. going on. It's yeah. either good or it's, uh-huh. <laughs> I like that. I'm, I'm the same way. I think most people, um, they know when they've had a good cup of coffee. Yeah. And that's all they really, wow, this is good. I don't really. Yeah. And but that's so interesting that, that you start your day off with something that you've made. You kind of enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And then you get your kind of your day-to-day stuff out of the way. And then you're kind of free to explore your art. Yeah. That's great. Do you find that you get to spend a lot of time outside during the afternoons, considering that's, that's when you're kind of painting and does that inform your art anyway, that kind of your outside time is in the mornings? Um, I, I, I don't have a, I don't get enough, I actually don't feel like I get enough creative time. Um, I mean, there can be whole days or weeks where I'm just working on making sure the shops stocked with things. And are you going to start selling your coffee here? I have that as a long-term goal, sort of like in, in the background, but I'm, I'm not really, I don't really know if it's ever going to materialize because the equipment to do it commercially is very expensive. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I'm particular enough to, I don't know if that's me being hard on myself or I don't don't know if I'm just not particular enough to feel like I could sell it, you know, and satisfy a coffee lover. So, (laughs) um, but, but, uh, what, what did you say? Uh, Oh, 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 yeah. (laughs) So outdoor. Yeah. I definitely being outdoors informs, I take a lot of pictures and, and I paint in studio a lot. I'm, I want to get out 
doors and plein air paint more, which is plein air paintings when you paint on location. And I just bought a nice outdoor easel to do that, like a one that in a backpack. Because right now I, I just have like a five gallon bucket and a shitty old uh, French easel. So I, I'm, uh, I got this nicer backpack that I can go travel further at a, in an easier manner. And my hopes are this next year I get out a lot more in nature and actually paint on location. That that kind of speaks to something you were saying earlier about uh, like painting for for commercial endeavor versus like as a retired person, the constraints sort of, I don't know, am I, am I correct that the constraint of doing that kind of propels your art a little bit more, it gives you some, gives you a different level of creativity uh, which which one the that being a paint for people for a business right having those kind of be, being within I want to say the confines of doing that gives you an obstacle to overcome when you're doing the work yeah yeah and then plain air painting it's sort of the same thing because you're at nature's mercy yeah and so it kind of like forces you within some confines and challenges you in a different way yeah it, yeah because I'm primarily a studio painter and I can take a long time on a painting in the studio. And there's been two things I've, I've, I've realized for, I've known for a long time that I, I, I would like to round out my abilities mm -hmm. um, in other ways. And one of those ways was, is live painting. I'll live paint with, um, there's a couple bands that I've live painted with um, over at Oxen Free. And, um, and then uh, plein air painting seems like another one of those where, you're in both of those things. You're, you're, you're not thinking too much of, I mean, you, you're just trying to get the information on the, on, on your canvas because everything's going to change before you know it. And um, so that's in the studio. I can just be so much more meticulous and I can get such fine details with the plain air painting. I'm thinking more like just broad strokes, impressions of the scene. And um, I, I, I really appreciate a good plein air painter who there's just like minimal information there, but you know exactly what it is, you know? And that's neat. If I could ever get to a point, I don't know that I'll ever be that type of plein air painter, but if I could get to a point where I could be at a place for an hour or so and walk away with a little piece of art that I like, I think that would be very, it's just very, very fulfilling. And also, I mean, I, I must, since I'm a slow painter, my, there's sort of people that are watching me waiting for originals. And so I don't have a lot of originals available all the time. And I think the planner painting would hopefully help solve that issue too, where I could have more originals available and for sale that people could buy because again i'm still always trying to i don't make a lot of money at this and i'm always trying to make it so that it's more com more comfortable to live to live yeah absolutely so we, have you ever thought about taking the plein air paintings and 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 then kind of touching them up at, at the studio, taking them back and then filling in the blanks. That's primarily what I do right now. That's that, yeah. That, that's what I have to do. But mm -hmm. the, I think the goal would be to uh, mostly complete them on location. I think, um, and that's just, a, that's, that'll happen through a knowledge of how to simplify knowing your color palettes and I'll learn all that stuff. You know, like right now, it, like it, it's sort of a guessing game. I'll, I'll need to narrow down my, like right now I, I like, I could have 50 colors. I, I've got <laughs> just a mess of tubes of paint and I just, I just go, Oh, that weird color looks good. And I'll just squirt it. And I think what I need to do out in nature is actually figure out these are the colors I need, you know, sort of like give myself more parameters than I take in the studios. Yeah, you almost have a, a, a luxury of, of a plethora of tools and you got to really narrow it down. Yeah. I think it would be also really neat for you because then you actually get to have like kind of an excuse to go and explore places you want to paint. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I identify with that. That's why I 
one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is it gives me an excuse to go back to Brookings or yeah. talk to you or what do you love? Where, where do you like to go to get inspiration? Obviously the coast. Are there specific places on the coast that are just every time you go there, you're struck or is it new places that get you? Uh, this man, I feel like this area, I, I, I feel like there's so much beauty in this area and I feel like I could, I feel like I could paint this area for the rest of my life and not capture all the beautiful little nooks and crannies that I see of it. So I, I'm pretty content for now painting this area. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Like I can, I mean, I, cause you can go big and small. I could, I could paint a big grand seascape or maybe I see a cool looking mushroom and maybe I'll just set up my, my easel and paint the mushroom, you know? So right. I, I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot more, I feel like I just scraped the surface of painting, uh, the beauty of this area and, um, it you know it's nice to have a place where I can make a painting, and then I have the the gallery to sell it. And you know, because I've before I had the gallery, I traveled a lot for shows, and it's so hard. It was so hard. I mostly just kind of focused on waves, and I go to coastal places mm. up and down the west coast, and I, I've been on uh, Hawaii and East Coast and Australia and different shows. But I've always kind of focused on waves in a generic manner that a wave I paint could go. It could look like the Pacific Northwest or you could ship it over to Hawaii and they'll think it's a Hawaiian wave, you know. And But every time, every time I would go places, you know, it's like everybody has their local favorite artists there. And so you're competing against all those factors trying to trying to get, get some business. It was, it could be pretty discouraging at times. I, you know, I've traveled a lot and bombed a lot of places <laughs> for art shows. <laughs> oh, I hate when that happens. It's rough. <laughs> it's rough, man. It's, it's hard. Cause you're, you know, you put so much work into the stuff and then you spend in money you don't have to go to this place. And then if it bombs, you're just like defeated. So you kind of, if you, if, if I build it, they will come put a gallery it's together sort of like that. I, I mean I've thought a lot where it's uh -huh. where I kind of felt like this that's exactly what this is is it um it it they and they they're coming more and more and that's it's such a cool thing to see the love of locals and tourists who who make a point of coming in my my gallery do you, do you think that your your main staple is people from in and around Southern Oregon, or do you think that it's about 50-50 with people who are appreciating it and taking it with them? It's it's a fair amount of locals. It's uh, Southern Oregon. Um, the the we're okay. The primary the primary areas I can pull out and say this is these are the this is who I notice locals people from the Rogue Valley, Redding. And then Utah, and I have no idea why you. I have no idea why Utah, but there's a lot of people that visit here from Utah. Utah's a cool place. I've hung out in like Salt Lake. It's neat. There's a lot of cool people. So yeah, well, but why? Did, I'm not sure why so many of them come to Brookings. Interesting. There's there's a lot. There's a lot, and I don't know that it's all like they're not all religious either. So I don't know. Like I don't think they're coming just for the to support the local Mormon church. You know, because there's no snow here. There's like, okay, yeah, that could be. Get away from that could be, yeah, but it's interesting. That know? is cool. Having been in Southern Oregon for quite some time and growing up here, have you seen the demographic of your average Oregonian change over that time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, it was. I mean, it, well, you, I, I, I'd say that the archetypes were here. You know, you had your loggers, fishermen, retirees, and like hippie, hippie, you know, like, and I, and I feel like those maybe that's like the archetypes for a lot of like what, what is still here. It's just nuanced to, they all, they all have, have these origins, but they've branched off into look like different types of people, but they're still kind of like the same sorts of. Um, I, I've heard stories of like, you know, back in, in the seventies or the sixties and, you go to like a place like 
Oh, you go north of here to say Gold Beach or Langley, and there was like a bar, and then hippies use the back door kind of thing. And there was like this real stratification between the people who lived here. Do you think that still goes on, or do you think it's more there's more unity in it? You know, it's funny. I I didn't even as a kid, I didn't really feel like there was um separation. It just everybody was kind of I don't know. I never experienced that. I, I, I don't even, even, cool. even as a kid, I don't really feel like I experienced that. I, I mean, I think, I think people, you know, people in small towns always like kind of look at people strange that don't look like them, <laughs> but, but I, I still feel like, I don't know. I, when I was a kid, I was, you know, I was, I grew up in the eighties and it was just like neon had just, come on the scene and I, I was, I sported it, man. I, you know, and that was very different from the colors that were around, but I, at the same time, I think people are just like their kids and they're just mm-hmm. doing, they're just kids. They're just kids doing kids things. So sure. I don't know. I, di- I didn't really experience. Um, I, I think my dad, I think my dad talks about when he moved here and he worked, he started working at the mill, like he wasn't, like them so they were they were kind of like always harassing them or something but i didn't i didn't experience it too much as a kid that's good i mean i guess one of the reasons why i ask is in the year 2024 in oregon we have a real dichotomy where it kind of converges in politics and, and you kind of have right wing and yeah. left wing and it seems like especially in southern oregon we've kind of either found a way to get along with everybody and we kind of we kind of find a happy medium as we move through our lives because the dichotomy is so exaggerated here. Yeah. Other places. Right. Do you feel like that's true? I think so. I, I kind of feel like the political divide is more maybe to do with what the media says it is than what it is really. Mm-hmm. And I, and I kind of feel like the people that are really trying to draw a line in the sand are, watch too much media. <laughs> That's probably very accurate. Because I feel like I I have people of all I have people in my life from all political backgrounds and I feel like we all love each other and try to get along. So you don't have to agree to get along. Yeah. And I think you're poised brilliantly at the intersection of that with art. Yeah. Because there's nobody who doesn't look at a, one of your paintings if they've been here, if they've gone hiking, if they've gone outside at all and they see your paintings, they love it. Yeah. And it really is that that neat place that art inhabits where everybody can enjoy it. It's music and paintings and those kind of things. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I I know people can, can get divided about even music and stuff, but I think what I've seen in the shop is, and I've always felt like what I do is sort of like a, I'm building a bridge, you know, just mm-hmm. even like how I described earlier, building a bridge to maybe a deeper understanding of art for people. But I also feel like I am, I feel like I am doing something spiritual in that I have far right and far left come in this shop and they both like the art and, and everybody in between, you and know, they, and, and they like each other that when they're in the shop, probably. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which and, is awesome. Yeah. So, so, and, and I'm not a, I, you know, I'm not a, um, I'm not a super political person. Mm-hmm. I, I really just want to see us figure out our differences and try to move on yeah. together. So I, I've always, I've always felt like what I do is sort of a bridge building thing. And I think I partly, I do that by not stating too much my political thoughts and things like that, you know, cause I, cause I do, you know, I, I like comedy and I like art <laughs> and I like music. And I, I think even like with, with comedy, you know, there's, there's some comedians that want to be political and then there's just other comedians that realize that, laughing is great medicine and if you can and and it's and it's and it builds bridges between thought Mm -hmm. of like this or that and and i think i i I appreciate comedy more i can appreciate someone making political jokes but 
but I just think it's always good to for people to be able to laugh at themselves. And uh, it's, it's another point that we can. A funny joke is funny no matter who you are. Yeah, and and it's, yeah, and it's great. And and I think your art does the same thing, but instead of comedy, it's that sense of wonder. And we can all share that sense of wonder, no matter where we come from. Yeah, and that's what it kind of evokes. Yeah, in people. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I like one. I like wonder. I like the idea of. I like mythology. I like. I like mystery. Have you always, or was that something that's kind of? For me, it's something that's kind of come on more and more as I as I as I get older. Is that the same? Absolutely. For you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I I feel like I'm I'm dove deeper into mythology and um, symbolism and um, metaphor and stuff is very important to my art. What kind of literature or spirituality are you are you exploring right? I don't read enough. I listen to, two, <laughs> I listen to so many podcasts. That's fair. <laughs> um, I need to read more. Um, yeah. I, I had a, you know, past few years I had a Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really enjoyed Joseph Campbell and I, I really got into mythology and I'm still like really interested in studying symbols and their importance in history and what they communicate. However, in my art, I don't want to just use old symbols. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want the symbol. I want my symbols to be from me more than from something else. And as far as like spirituality, I, I don't, man, it's so, I, I'm such a, I'm an open book to learning. Mm -hmm. I've, I'd spent a part of my life being, Christian and it it felt limiting to me and I, I I'm just really interested in hearing people's thoughts on spirituality and I like there's people I like but I can't really say anymore that I, I would ever commit myself to like one one path one path yeah yeah well, kind of all roads lead to the same kind of fundamental concepts. So, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting how we all get there though. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. And I just, I, I sometimes feel like the idea of, you know, Oh, you got to be in this group or else you're in trouble. <laughs> I just feel like that's man-made. Yeah. Um, I, I it, it's obvious that from, from just looking at your work that, symbolism makes sense to me that you resonate with that because your work is so symbolic it's subtle but it's very symbolic yeah and and i love that about it i can stare at a piece of your work and always find something in there i hadn't seen before just why is that line a little bit darker than all the others what's important there and Mm -hmm. and, you know however it comes out in my mind but what about that symbolism triggers your brain you know, or it's just kind of intuitive. It started out as intuitive and it's grown to be slightly more intentional, but it's still more based off intuition than it is any, any planned thing. I believe that I am, uh, this isn't like something I made up. This is something I feel like many artists have talked about, but I, I feel like I'm an antenna. And I feel like I pick up frequencies and ideas that aren't necessarily mine, but I can use them. Mm-hmm. Not meaning like they're they're another artist, meaning they're they're out there in the ether, and I I can pick them up and I can use them. So I'm I'm very interested. My paintings usually speak to me, even after I've created them. Meaning in my painting, and and in what I paint. Sometimes I don't even know what it's trying to say to me as I'm painting it. I, I may have a direction and I may head in that direction, or maybe I don't have a direction, but I'm always, I'm always, I've really tried to make myself open to receiving from outside of me. I do believe that there is something that, that does speak, that can speak to you. You know, you can label that however you want, but, but um, I do believe that there is something beyond me that that tells me helps guides so so your your creative your creativity is is, is channeled I, I i feel like it is i feel you know i feel like 
I feel like the ideas, it's like the, the ideas are out there. And if they went through an art, another artist's mind, you'd see the same theme. But, but what happens when that idea comes in that particular artist's head is it then gets filtered through all of your training and experiences and all that stuff. And then you output it. So it, so it has your filter, but it is something that was from outside of me. I think that makes a lot of sense to live that. Like when you see a, a, a piece of art and everybody loves it, it's because it's, it's something that's out there in that zeitgeist, if you want to call yep. it that, or a song. Absolutely. It just, everybody likes it because, or everyone's touched by it because mm-hmm. it, it's a channeling of what is out there and what we're all kind of feeling. Yeah. And if you're, if you're in the same kind of path as the artist, or if you share enough similarities with them or dissimilarities with them, it strikes you in a way. Yeah. I think that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. And I, I think, I think for me, I've always been sort of comforted by, let's say I watch an artist documentary and I hear the same themes in them that I feel are in me. And I think some artists may be, threatened by that but i i find it comforting because <laughs> that feels like i'm on the right track when that's happening i feel like i feel like when i'm doing something that is something that artists have done sort of like with the minimal training that i've had i feel like i'm i'm tapping into something that is beyond me it it's has great. to be beyond me because i you know or you know like it's just innate in me or something that's beautiful that's great yeah i i, I wonder do you ever feel like you're having a hard time tapping that source? And what do you do when, when you're, when you're not feeling those, those signals from the universe or whatever you want to call it? Do you give yourself a break or do you force yourself to go forward and find it? I've, I feel like I've been giving myself more breaks lately, but I think what happens is it just gets, that energy just gets put into something else that's creative and that's like making coffee. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever experience like the, the artist version of a writer's block? Oh yeah. So you always have your ability. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how it works for musicians and other people, but you keep a sketchbook or you keep something that you have ideas jotted down for those dry times. So if you want to be creative, you don't have to necessarily work at, worry about the idea as much as just knowing you, you backlog ideas so that you don't have those strikes because you can it so you can pop it out <laughs> yeah yeah because creating is always so satisfying even even when i'm sucking at it it's it's satisfying it's the process that's moving you yeah yeah that. and that's the thing is i think that's the thing that i've learned with age is just to just to get into it because you'll enjoy it. Even if you're sucking at it, it like there's days when I just like, I, I don't like what I'm creating, but it, but it's, it's such a, I'd rather be doing it sucking than not doing it. I, when I read the, the Bhagavad Gita um, and they're talking, Arjun is talking about how he doesn't necessarily want to fight this war that he's about to go fight with his brother. And then Krishna basically says, well, you still have to do what you do just because you understand that it's meaningless doesn't mean that you don't get to live your life. Yeah. And it's sort of that fight that we have when we go to do a creative act or even when you're going, a construction worker is going to build that day. Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, what does it all matter? What, what does it matter at all? But yet you finding why it matters in doing it. Absolutely. I think I've definitely gotten to a point in different points in my life where you wonder why it all matters. And then I, I think now I just appreciate all of it. You know, I, I think I was always, I think for me, there was always all this stuff that got in the way of creativity, you know, like laundry dishes, bills, yeah, whatever it is. There's just always these things that get in the way of, of my creative time. And it was, it would always cause me like anguish and anger and stuff. And, um, eventually I, and I, I'm not perfect with it, but, uh, eventually I, I've, I've just come to appreciate all the 
all the little things in life that you just have to do. You, you have to do it. And, and maybe there's other artists out there that don't have to do quite as much as you do, but that's not your path. And you, you know, to not be, to not be jealous of someone else's path because the jealousy doesn't, it doesn't, it only harms you, you know, like it, your path is your path. And whether you're doing more or less, more art or less art, I'm still an artist, right? You know? Like I'm still, I'm still making a living as an artist and I do enjoy all of it. Like I enjoy the shop. The shop is, the shop is a art project to me. This is, this is, it is. It's an art piece as much as any of my paintings are. Just know? everything you do becomes this symbolic gesture that you're putting out and you're putting yourself into. Yeah. That's so cool. So you don't always have the time or energy to be creating art, but, you know, I think if you can be at peace with what you have, you know, there's a lot of people that want to be me they want to they want to be making a living as an artist but they don't see the backside of it. they don't see all the production stuff and everything and, and just there's a lot to run in a business it's crazy absolutely and and i i always try to spin it on them and i and i'm like you're painting right like, yeah but i don't make any money at it well you get to do whatever you want the parameters of of not needing to make a living at it sometimes are more appealing than trying to make a living at it, you know? Like you want to be an artist more than you want to be an artist. Like yeah, there's yeah. a huge difference between making art and being an artist. Right? Yeah. And I think, I, you know, I don't think this path is for everybody and it's very hard to be an artist. And, you know, you like, I, I've never made, I, you know, I've been practically at poverty level and I've, you know, and I've been, and I, and I'm always feel like, Poverty levels just right over there, like <laughs> far away from it. Anyway, and uh, so there's a lot of stress mm -hmm. in it. But then if you just go, "Wow, I'm doing it," though, then right. you have the support of the community for the most part, right? For the most part, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, every, yeah, I have a very everybody's very supportive. Mm -hmm. um, everybody's very supportive. You know, it's just uh, you always want to make a little bit more just to but you know that's the game right that's, that's the game. that's life is you always yeah. want to make a little more do a little yeah. better it seems like it'd be a little bit more comfortable but mm -hmm. but yeah isn't that the, that's the hard part the Bhagavad again is be attached to the to the work not the result of the work and sometimes we can get so caught up striving for something yeah and we forget to take pleasure in the striving totally you know, totally yeah, the striving is, you know, I, I thought about this recently. I've always struggled with the idea of heaven mm -hmm. because I couldn't imagine a place where there's, you know, it's like that talking head song, that heaven's a place where nothing ever happens. And, and I'm just like, and, and, he, and, he's, and he's sort of pointing out the absurdity of that thought, like that, 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 that almost sounds like hell, you know, like, Exactly. Like everybody's the party, the, the right time. And, you know, like, and then I, you know, I was thinking about recently, heaven to me seems like if there's some, I, I know I don't have all the ins and outs of this figured out, but heaven to me would be being able to, cause there's in this life, I've focused on painting, but gosh, it'd be cool to be a hunter or a fisherman or, um, or a woodworker or, mm -hmm. um, a uh, uh, windsurfer or, or, or sailing boats or, you know, like, but I don't have enough time in this, in this life to do, to, to do all those things and be, there's a reward in taking one thing and following it with the best of your abilities. Instead, I have been at times in my life where I was sort of a jack of all trades, not a good jack of all trades, but but, but so, no, none of them are. Yeah, <laughs> right. But if there's something really rewarding about going super deep on one thing and then just putting your blinders on to all the other things in the world that you can't, uh, you can't do because you, you know, you're not going to do them well or have the time, but like heaven to me would be sort of getting to do any of the things that I just, time is not a parameter. <laughs> you're just, 
you're just getting to do the thing and, and you get to like, you get to learn all the ins and outs of that thing. And, and then it also got, got me thinking about like reincarnation. Cause some people, you know, like with reincarnation, it's, it's, you know, you're trying to get off the, the cycle of, of Dharmic cycle. Yes. Right? The Dharmic cycle. But, but what if, you know, like if we're here, well, let's say we're here willingly. What if we're actually, what if that's actually what we're doing? We're actually playing a role in each life and we can, you know, and, and I know that there's big holes in this. I'm no, just no, no. I'm broad stroking this, but, uh-huh. but I just think it's interesting. Like, okay, this life I'm a painter, next life I'm this or that. And I'm, so what if, what if the Dharma of my existence in each life is actually, I've, I've, I've realized that I like to go deep on a subject. Right. And so each, each time I'm going, I'm coming back learning a different subject it could be that could be an that's an interesting thought right like i'll buy another ticket i got yeah. i found out some stuff last time i want to try <laughs> so it makes it like if you're on this ride it makes it much more you know if this is like an internal ride that we're on the idea that your 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 attitude in the here and now you, you shouldn't need to go to this place to feel like you're going to feel better. Mm-hmm. Life in the moment is with all its suck and its greatness is for, we're supposed to just really, I don't know what the word is for it, but we're, but we're supposed to be here for this, you know, like and be here now, you know, like the Ram Dass thing, you know, but for sure. You can choose to look at yourself as from a third person perspective and, and and allow your mind to kind of become an objective observer of the things you're doing, or you can live in that. Yeah. Or you can be in it and, yeah. and be available to that moment that you're experiencing now. Yeah. And, and to be able to, to kind of go back and forth at different moments during the day is, is kind of handy, mm-hmm. but to be able to just really be focused. And, and like you said, choose a life that's intentional, whether that's mm-hmm. intentional to paint yeah. or it's intentional to be a walker. Mm-hmm. It's in, it's in the mastery of that craft, whatever you're choosing to do where most, I think most people find great satisfaction. Yes. People find a lot of peace in that. Thing right. I don't know if that's true, but it seems that way. Yeah. I feel like if in, in any one of these things, you'll find that person that does maybe find peace in the thing that they're, that they, they, they've, they're at peace with their whole life and what it is. And just finding peace in your, in who you are, where you are. I talked to you about how before I came into your shop, I spent, uh, I went out to a local place and spent five minutes just trying to meditate and clear my head. Do you have any practices like that that you do, or is it more just catch as catch can? I've, I've had different moments in my life where I meditated. I, I think I started meditating. Uh, gosh, maybe seven years ago. And uh, it's come and gone. My life got a little crazy in the past four or five years. Kind of let go of it. I'm trying to get back into it. Mm-hmm. I find it brings me centeredness and peace and con- more control over all the thoughts that go through my head because I, I get a lot of thoughts and it sort of slows them down and it slows me down a little bit too, where I'm, I'm more patient in the world. I'm not as um, reactionary to the things that occur to me <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. That feels very, it feels good when you're in control of yourself. Like sometimes, sometimes that, you know, it's just like you want to flip off a driver or something and it's just like, uh, no. And sometimes you do. Sometimes you do, and, and it's okay. Sometimes you do. Yeah, so, <laughs> and it's, okay. it's okay. But you know, it's it also feels good when you let that moment go by and you Absolutely. didn't, and you were patient, mm-hmm. and you and you didn't you didn't react. You I get think, a lot less regrets that way. You do, and and I think I spent a lot of my life on the other side of that, mm-hmm. and now I'm not 100. percent I don't think I'll ever be 100, percent but I'm more on the side of being patient and letting letting the moment pass. And then, and then evaluating my, not letting the craziness that I see get to me and, and me get pulled into it. Just being, like you said, more control, just more, control, more attention. More center. Yeah. yeah. That's Do you think that it, when you're, when you're feeling that way, does your work improve? 
Yeah, I think I've become more patient with myself mm-hmm. and and the idea that I can figure out a problem and figure out how to maneuver around it to find a solution. So yeah, I mean it it it, it goes over into all areas. I'm I have a son, I'm more patient with him, you know, like it's it's just it I think the patience how old is he? He's twelve. Twelve is a cool age. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's he's a fun kid, but patience for sure, though, right? Yeah, well, you know, I really enjoy him. He's very creative, and we have a really good time together. I don't know. I I really enjoy seeing his creativity develop, and I don't know where it's going to go entirely, but I think I'm given the mu- him the muscle memory of being a creative type, like your father did for you. Yeah, yeah, my yeah, my dad. My dad definitely planted that seed in me. I think I've, I think I've probably given my son more tools than my dad was able to give me. You know, because mm-hmm. um, uh, I don't know that my dad knew the tools he had well enough. But I've made a living at it, so I think I'm able to sort of help him understand the game a little bit more. You know, sure. and, and just. But I think the the thing that I'm trying to do is just give him the ability to think creatively. Cause I don't, I think no matter what he does, I think that'll be an asset. Cause, Absolutely. Cause he'll, he'll be, he'll be able to throw in ideas when other people are maybe clammed up and don't know what to do. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to look at it. Creative people, they just have a way of moving through the world, seeing the path between the obstacles. Mm-hmm. In, instead of fixating on on the obstacles, yeah, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, and I and I hope he, he seem he doesn't seem like he has the hangups that I had. I I was kind of a person who didn't have a lot of confidence in myself, and I I I, I think even into my thir- late thirties, I I was still discovering that I could learn new things because I was I I didn't think I was capable. I remember in my 20s wanting to learn how, I think it was when I wanted to learn how to surf. And I thought, oh, I'm too old to learn how to surf. I'm 20 something years old. <laughs> These people have been surfing their whole lives. Yeah. And now in retrospect, it was so silly for me to have that block. Yeah. It would be silly for me to have that block now if I wanted to learn. Yeah. Yeah. But I think time has a way of evolving as you get a little bit older and mature a little bit more. And you're not old by any means. But just having gone through a number of decades beyond two <laughs> generally gives you a perspective of, of your life. And Absolutely. Your yeah. Do, do you see your, your son having those same, uh, you were saying that you have some, had some self-doubt troubles. He doesn't seem to, to have them. I think he does, but he also is more assertive than I, than I was. I think he does have, he does for sure have his doubts. That's where I try to give him the tools because I've... What do you with him? What do you tell him? Well, I just, when there's a problem that arises, I, I, my, my, I have a mantra with him. It's just like practice, 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 you know? And, and, and I don't say practice makes perfect. I mean, I'd say practice makes better. I feel like that's more, um, more, realistic i i'm not i don't know what perfection is i'm not gearing towards perfection but practice will make you better and is you can still have what you want in the distance but practice is those steps practice makes better is the steps that you take to get to the that horizon place that you want to get to you know that practice makes perfect seems to me that seems a little bit more lofty and hard to achieve. I mean, I understand it, but that seems reserved for like the Michael Jordans and people like that, that are sort of freakishly exceptional. Sure. Um, I, I, I think practice makes better. You will get better. You want to be a better musician. You practice, you want to be a better father. Yeah. Everything you just yeah. practice. You just like, you will get better. You just know? do it more. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's a very, it's very simple mantra with it but it it works you know and then there's there's definitely always like practical moments i can help him maybe see how to do something like structurally how to maybe fix something 
that he, that he's stealing. But for the most part, he doesn't want to hear my advice. <laughs> you just have to give it anyway. So he'll, he'll tap into it later, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting, though. I love what you're saying about practice. Perfection is something you should aim at, but that's all you're doing. Yeah. You're just aiming at it. And then generally perfect seems to be a moving goalpost anyway. Totally. Because by the time you get halfway there, you're not even interested in getting to the place you thought you were setting for. Totally. So. Yeah. The path. Yeah. That's like that fog thing I was telling about. Like even, even with this, it's, you're sort of on a fog. Like I feel like you're on a foggy path and, and then you, the closer you get to it, the more clear it is. I, I feel that way about the discussion we're having. It's there's sort of a, we don't know each other. We just start talking. And then over the course of the conversation, there's some themes that have kind of developed and we kind of know what this conversation is about, but only in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. And that, that's, that's so cool. 